It's always good to see you and good to be with you. It's good to see you visitors here. We're delighted that you felt led of the Lord to join us in worship today. And we're grateful that you came. We're grateful for this opportunity to worship the Lord, singing his praises, his wonderful hymns, and then to study his word. We have a handout floating around. If you have not received a handout, if you raise your hand, we will see that you got that in your hand right away. Two over here. Who's got that? <laughs> John, would you tell Roger we need two handouts over here? Is there anyone else? Two over on the left, two on the right. And this handout is sort of like the one I did last week, and there's some extra copies in the back for you there if you'd, we're out of handouts. Might run some off or whatever. Okay, I didn't bring it up. All right. Well, I guess, you know what, the fault is with me. Because I didn't, by faith, print enough. Melchizedek, the type of Christ. Genesis, I listed all these at the top of the message for the guys to put on the outline. Genesis 14, 7 through, through 20. Hebrews 5, 10 and 6, 20. And then 7, 1 through 28. Because that is the whole record that we have of Melchizedek. What we know about this man is right there in those verses. So we'll begin reading in Genesis chapter 14, uh, 17, we'll begin there. And this is when Abram, still Abram at that time, this was his name, had uh, heard that all these kings uh, had come and down and attacked the king of Sodom and king of Gomorrah. And in doing so, they had defeated them out there in the slime pits uh, there at the end of the lake and uh, then had taken Lot captive. So Abram gets all his trained men together and they will go get them, defeat them, and bring everything back that had been taken away, possessions and persons, and brought them back. And so we pick up in verse, uh, in fact, verse 16 says that he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot, which is actually his nephew, and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shadolaomer, excuse me, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavit, which is a king's dale. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom, Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, 
that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskal, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Uh, it's interesting there. This is a sermonette on the way to a sermon, I guess. We see the character of Abram because he has gone and defeated as a mercenary because of family tie, in essence. He got into this battle to get his lot back. He did for no reason other than that. He shows that here. He gave tithes of all that was taken. And then the king of Sodom is grateful and offers him to take all the loot. Just give me the persons. He said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to take a thing. And that character of Abram pays off because we see down here in verse 15, chapter 1, chapter 15, verse 1, excuse me. After these words, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I want to tell you, there's not a better bit of news on the planet that a mortal can hear than for God to say to you and I, I am your reward. I am your shield. I am your great reward. So we see something of the character of this incredible man, Abram, in that passage for certain. And then in six, uh, Hebrews 5:10 and 6:20, basically the text is the same. They're both speaking of the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 20 there, uh, chapter 6, whether the forerunner is, our forerunner, the Lord Jesus Christ, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then we'll begin reading in verse 7, chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of the days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest forever. Made like unto is an important phrase there. Like the Son of God, abideth a peace, priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are the sons of Levi, who receive the office of priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, through, though they come out of the loins of Abraham, but whose descent is not counted from them, meaning Melchizedek, his descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes at Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, thus is made necessary a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, 
of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that a Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood, and is yet far more evident that after that the multitude, similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made, not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, there are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going to, before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. <clears throat> and inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. For these priests were made without an oath, but this one with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swore and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as these high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He did this once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests that have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, <coughs> maketh his son who is consecrated forevermore. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Holy and blessed God, we love you, Father. We love your word. We love every syllable of it, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would instruct us today with the precision of your word and the revelation that, are is, that is therein in the Old Testament passage leading to the new. For you, Lord, to receive all the glory and honor do your holy name. For us, Lord, to receive instruction and righteousness and encouragement and edification as we seek to live our lives daily during our earthly appointed time in your service. Lord, to that end, got to be all of you, not of me, for thy glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, last Sunday our subject was <clears throat> the romance of redemption in Genesis chapter uh, 24, and we saw how personages in real historical settings, real events, real people, uh, were by divine design also, though, types of New Testament personages. And that the context then, those types in the Old Testament leading to antitypes in the New Testament have a prophetic aspect as well. They're not only pointing to someone, but prophetically pointing to that person. Abraham being the type of God the Father. The servant, Eliezer, type of the Holy Spirit. Isaac, this type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rebecca, type of the church. 
The first, <clears throat> we'll do a comparison of types and prophecies, and that's what you got on your handout there. A prophecy is victorially, verbally, excuse me, a prophecy is pictorially, I've got them upside down, a prophecy is verbally predictive, excuse me. A prophecy is verbally predictive, whereas <clears throat> a type is pictorially predictive. Both have that prophetic aspect to them, but obviously the prophecy is verbally predictive. The type is pictorially predictive. Dr. Roy Zuck had this definition of types. If you have one on the handout last week, I like this one as well because it has a particular key phrase in it that I like. He said a type is an Old Testament person, event, or thing having historical reality <clears throat> pardon me, and designed by God to prefigure or foreshadow in a preparatory way, that's the key phrase I like, in a preparatory way, a real person, event, or thing so designated in the New Testament and corresponds to and fulfills, heightens the type in a, pre a preparatory way. And that's a wonderful thing because as we study the types in the Old Testament that are pointing to antitypes in the New Testament, as we study those, it prepares our heart to receive the truth along the route of our study in the Old Testament moving toward the new. By the way, Dr. Zuck, he did some, a lot of this ancestry research uh, during his lifetime, and he found he had, he had a distant relative that lived <clears throat> in 1630. His name was Hans Zuck. He was an Anabaptist preacher. He was imprisoned in Bern, Switzerland for two years because he refused to baptize infants. Interesting bit of history about this man. Uh, I guess I would be in prison too for that probably. Uh, but he stood his ground. A type, though historical and of God's sovereign design, is nevertheless imperfect and temporary. These are real people, but they were temporary on earth, right? And so they were imperfect as humans and temporary as the types pointed toward the antitype. Whereas particularly in our text today, the antitype is both eternal and perfect because the type of Melchizedek, the antitype of Melchizedek as the type is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're gonna examine Melchizedek, the Old Testament high priest, and then in examining the scriptures pertaining to him, see a type and prophecy of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a mysterious guy. There's a lot of theories about out there. People hold different positions about who he is. I'll share for those in a moment. The scriptural accounts, uh, though, uh, this, is, this is fascinating to me, too, another thing. The scriptural accounts of Melchizedek that we see sparse though they are, but there they are scattered down through the, the Bible, are just one more of those remarkable proofs of the, the divine inspiration of Scripture and the unity of it. Because these things were written thousands of years apart some of this time, you know, and it just all fits together. For example, Genesis 14, we read, he was the priest of the Most High God. 
<clears throat> and there are not three verses, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm sorry, one of those seasons, I guess. <clears throat> those three verses there, 17 through 20, record his activity when he met Abraham coming back from the victory where he regained the goods stolen and his nephew. And that record about him, the Most High God, we go a thousand, some thousand years later, and the psalmist David makes a statement about him as well. In Psalm 110, 1 through 4, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will be willing, that's regeneration, thy people will be willing in the day of thy power and the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. But Lots of years subsequent to the event in Genesis. Then after another thousand years or so, the writer of Hebrews reveals more about Melchizedek than Melchizedek knew about himself than are any of his contemporaries. You know, it's interesting. I, my son-in-law and I were talking last evening. He said, you know, do you think, <clears throat> is it safe to say that John was a type of Elijah? You know, John the Baptist? I said, yeah, I think so. I said, you know, it's an interesting question. Now, I wonder if John knew that he was an antitype or a type. Which way are you looking, see? Looking back to the one prophesied, looking forward to one that will come. See, these people don't know that. These are people living out their lives in the service of the Most High God. But God is using them and pointing to things that are going to happen. And you know what? You and I don't know how God is using us day in and day out as well. You're having an impact. I'm having an impact. Let's hope and pray that it's the impact that God intends us to have while we live out our lives in His service on this, His earth. Hebrews 7, this is Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham also gave a tenth part of, the, of all first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, mother, descent, neither having been beginning of days, end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. That's a key phrase, made like unto the Son of God. I'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> because there are those that feel like he was an incarnate, pre-incarnate Christ, and I do not agree with that. This mysterious Melchizedek, he was serving as both a priest and king, which is interesting when you look at the Old Testament history pertaining to the Jews. But he was a priest and king during the time of Abraham. Now, let's look and see what the requirements are to be a king of the Jews. The scripture reveals there's two requirements. First of all, they had to be Davidic descent, apart from the cursed line of Jeconiah. And that's important right there because we have his genealogy through Mary and we have a genealogy through Joseph and the two gospel presentations thereof. But if Joseph had been his biological father, 
he would have been part of the cursed line of Jeconiah and could have never served on the king's throne of Israel. But here we have it through his mother. And then the second thing, not only the, uh, the Davidic descent, but divine appointment or prophetic sanction to be the king. Jesus met the first requirement of Davidic ascent, as I mentioned, apart from that cursed line through his mother, Mary. And his divine appointment was announced, Luke chapter 1 and verse 30, when the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So, he had Davidic ascent, and he had prophetic sanction. He shall have the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, in addition to being declared king in the Davidic line, the writer of Hebrews also refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest, some 12 times in the book of Hebrews alone, our high priest. But according to Mosaic law, Jesus did not meet the requirements to be high priest. What are the requirements of your Levitical high priest? First of all, the entire tribe of Levi was dedicated to God for religious services. All priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. But all priests were Levites. All the priests had to be descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother, and Israel's first high priest. So if you're going to be a priest, you've got to be a Levite. You've got to be a descendant of Aaron. So the Levitical priesthood was strictly national, Israel only, strictly hereditary of the tribe of Levi, descendants of Aaron. The Levites were not a ruling class, nor could a Levite be king. And a Levitical priest could only serve from age 25 to 50. So it's bracketed by age. Now, three statements concerning <clears throat> Levitical priesthood. The scripture tells us perfection, right standing, and access to God was not achieved through the Levitical priesthood. Hebrews 9, 7 through 9. Into the second went the high priest once alone per year, and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while at the first tabernacle was standing, which were a figure, not the same word as translated typos, from, not typos, translated type, but it means basically the same, a figure for the time present in which were gifts and sacrifices offered that could not make him that did this service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Another prophet was going to rise, though. Hebrews 7 would not be from the Levitical order, 
but from the order of Melchizedek. After that order, it is yet far more evident, for after the similitude of Melchizedek there arises another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life, for he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, a very key point there is this. The Lord Jesus Christ was not of the tribe of Levi. He was the tribe of Judah. Yet, the scripture says he's priest and king in the New Testament. The priesthood of Melchizedek, he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, okay, that's what the scripture says. Who is this guy? What is he? Where is he from? Was he immortal? Did he live forever? <clears throat> While addressing subjects like this, <clears throat> there's some very basic things, and I'm just going to mention one of them, but some very basic things that we always have to remember. Of course, first of all, literal interpretation of the Word of God, because the Word of God is the Word of God. But here's another one. That it's this. Bruce said it well in New International Commentary. The silences of Scripture are as much due to divine inspiration as its statements. That's very important to remember. You know, why didn't God say? God did not say because did, He did not want to say. Okay. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's what he says. That means what? We have everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us guiding us directly. We can serve God successfully in our lives because he's given everything for us to do that. But there's some silences there and some questions we have. And we can fiddle around with those questions all we want to and really waste time because if he'd have wanted us to know, had wanted us to know what they were, he would have told us in the word of God. The silences are as much due to divine inspiration as his statements. Now, key verses to that effect. Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of the law. So the secret things belong to the Lord. The things revealed are ours to serve him with. Thus, we're to be gratefully, we're to gratefully receive what he's revealed. Gratefully accept that he's chosen not to reveal other things out of his holy counsel and will. Leave his silences to his to, for him to reveal when he comes, if he pleases. And seek to interpret those things that he's given us. Remembering what Revelation said, don't add to, don't take away, Revelation 22. Take it as it is, the word of God as it is. Don't add anything to it, don't take anything away from it. I was reading, one, I read a lot of books about preaching through the years, hoping I could be one. <laughs> Halfway decent. 
one old brother said, we, in seminary, said, we preach the word of God as it is to men and women, boys and girls, as they are, brothers. That's our call. Yeah, I give him that. It's great. The other one said, we took nothing to the scriptures from our person. We add nothing to it. We take nothing away from it. We focus on what it says, and that's where we go with our message. The Word of God is sufficient. You have questions, I have questions. I don't know if they'll still be important when we get home. If they are, we can ask. (laughs) But now, don't worry about the things, the silences of God. Having said that again, who is this guy, Melchizedek? What was he? Some say he's an angel, that he took human form and he served on the earth there, an angel in human form during the life of Abraham. By the way, existence of the Quran area, when the, you know, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they believed that he was the pre-incarnate Christ. Not just an angel, but the pre-incarnate Christ. Of course, they seem to base on Hebrews chapter 7, without father, without mother, without de- descent, having need of beginning of days, end of life, etc. The pre-incarnate Christ. Well, all we can know until glory is what Scripture has revealed about Melchizedek. He's not the most important person anyway, <laughs> Right? In all due respect to him. Genesis 14, 18, King of Solom, uh, Salem, brought forth bread and wine, priest of the Most High God. King of Salem, what does that mean? King of peace. Melchizedek is his name, means king of righteousness. So king of peace, king of righteousness. But King of Salem. What did that mean? Salem was the ancient name for Jerusalem. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, uh, Melchizedek, was, was a priest king in Jerusalem. That, by the way, that valley of Shaveh, where the king's dale in the Old Testament, that's most likely in the Kidron Valley out there in that area. A lot of scholars think that. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, wrote, a potent man among the Canaanites, was the fir- uh, by speaking of Melchizedek, was the first to build Jerusalem. And his name is, in our tongue, called Melchizedek, a righteous king, for such he really was. On which account he was there, the first priest of God, and first ruled a temple there, and called the city Jerusalem, which was formerly called Salome. Now, who was he? What was he? Here's what I believe. (laughs) Remember, I'm not speaking ex cathedra, but ex opinion. Okay? This is my opinion. But this is what I believe. And I believe I have good reason to believe what I believe. I wouldn't be sending it to you. I think he's a mortal Canaanite man. A mortal Canaanite man that served as priest and king During Abraham's life, he was a monotheistic priest. He wasn't off into that cultic gobbledygook, but he served the Most High God. 
He knew Abraham personally. Abraham knew him. He knew Abraham had been victorious. He knew who had made Abraham victorious. And he praised him. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And gave then Abraham gave him tithes of all. By the way, here's another one of those sermons on the way, sermonettes on the way. Some people say, well, you know, I preach here, I just don't believe in tithing. That's an Old Testament Jewish deal. You know, it's in the law. They're right. It's in the law. However, I want to point out to you that this preceded the law. This was before the law. This was hundreds of years before the Levites. This was a man, a high priest, monotheistic high priest, serving the Lord God, possessor of heaven and earth. And Abraham knew who he was and gave him a tenth of all the loot that had been recovered. Took nothing for himself. Refused that. Gave a tithe of all that he brought back home. And I submit to you that the tithe is what we give unto the Lord. Baseline. It's his. Period. It's his. What is that? It's just simply obedience. That's it. Simply obedience to the Lord God. And if you don't believe in a tithe, it's okay if you want to give more. But 10% is due the Lord. It's His. And if I'm not tithing, and you're not tithing, we're not trusting God with our income and outgo balance sheet. We're just not. Because, listen, if I'm going to trust my soul to Him in eternity, how in God's earth can I not trust Him with my bucks? My nickels, dimes, and quarters. It doesn't make sense to me. Amen. And I'll guarantee you one thing. The scripture says in Malachi, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and bless you so your barns can't contain it. Now, you don't give to get. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I will challenge you to do this. If you're not ready now, a person that tithes, here in this auditorium or in my, the internet audience, either one, if you're not now a person that ties 10% off the top of everything that comes into your house, I challenge you to start it. This is January the 28th. Go to next January the 28th. Do it faithfully all year and then look back and see what God has done. And I promise you one thing, you'll be amazed how much your 90% did in 24 that you 100% didn't give, do in 23. You'll never, ever outgive God. He wants to show himself to you in so many ways, and monetary material stuff is just part of it. You know, it's pretty exhilarating, really, to preach on tithing when you know you can't get fired. <laughs> they just tell me not to come back next week, you know? That's cool, okay. You might get a sermon ready just in case because I may feel that way. But that's just the truth, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm, I'm not on salary here. I'm not after your bucks or nothing. I'm just saying this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning thee and me all the way to glory to trust him completely with everything that he gives us, monetary, materially, gifts and talents because, because, are you going to give him 
more than he's given you? Wake up. You haven't understood the message of the gospel if you think that at all. Give us everything that pertains to life and God and this, starting with his son. God, help us. God, help us to get a hold of ourselves. This guy, this Sodom guy, this king, a little king, not a big king, you know, over there little king does, but he was grateful. He was grateful. Here, take all this stuff. Give me the persons. Do you take all this stuff, Abram? Neighbor has said, uh-uh, not going to do that. You know what's interesting, though? The king of Sodom, in expressing his, willingly verbalizing his gratitude to Abram, he made no mention of the most high God, the high priesthead. Abram was there. He had no mention of the most high God. You know what I believe? And I'm not his judge. But I believe if he had known the most high God, Sodom might be named something else other than Sodom. And it wouldn't have been tolerated in that land. And it wouldn't be in America either if our leadership in this country all knew the word of God concerning Sodomites. Regarding 7.3, without you know, Hebrews, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days, end of life, made like unto the Son of God. Notice that he was made like unto the Son of God, abideth forever. That's key information for, for Hebrews, for Jews. That's key information there. And it shows the superiority of his priesthood, the type, and the superiority of the priesthood of the type that was forthcoming, the Lord Jesus Christ, over the Levitical priesthood. Levitical priesthood was based on parentage and tribal descent, bracketed by age, 25 to 50. And this clearly shows there was a different priesthood necessary, and we got it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Concerning end of life, maybe it's translated like Enoch, another mortal at work of God. But also, the nor end of life could be that his priestly reign, priestly life, did not come to end as long as he lived. We've got Supreme Court justice here that die on the bench, right? So it could have been that sort of thing. But for the Jew, when you said, hey, who is this guy? He has mother, father, beginning. Of, we don't know who his mama was. We don't know who his daddy was. We don't know when he was born. We don't know anything about him. He couldn't be qualified. He was. But he was. With certainty, we cannot know about him. But with certainty, we do know that he was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ being the New Testament antitype. So we look at the unique features of Melchizedek, the Old Testament type of the Lord Jesus. He was not of the tribe of Levi, nor a descendant of Aaron. He preceded all of that hundreds of years. His priesthood had nothing to do with genealogy and genealogical descendants, heritage. He was a priest king with an unending rule, as priest and king. 
He, was, he, he had an unchangeable priesthood. He was not in any rotation. All those other priests were in rotation. But what's interesting also is this priest-king role, position, was never known in the nation of Israel. Not one time. It was not allowed in the nation of Israel. Yet it predated the nation of Israel. But it was predicted in their writings, Zechariah chapter 6, 6 12 through 13, speaking to him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall between them both, meaning in both offices, the council of peace between his office of priest and king, which was a prophetic fulfillment, prophetic fulfillment of Psalm 85. I love this. Mercy and truth are met together. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. Praise God. And that is forever. So, brothers and sisters, glance at Melchizedek. Certainly an interesting study. But then set your gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our eternal high priest, our eternal king, king of both Jews and Gentiles alike, priesthood without end, kingship without end. Set your eyes upon him. Scripture says, 7.16, Hebrews, who is made after the, not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life, priest forever, he is able to save us to the uttermost because we have come to God by him, our high priest, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. That's our Jesus right there. Hebrews chapter 3 closes these glorious words. Verse 26, our high priest is holy, harmless. I love this verse. Our high priest is holy, harmless, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, needs not daily as those priests did to offer sacrifices for himself and for his sins of them. He did this one time when he offered up himself. But he offered up himself not for himself. He offered up himself for you and I, the elect of God. Do you know him? <laughs> Do you know him as your Lord, your God, your King? It's amazing, and I'll close with this. It's amazing how things get distorted in, in seeking to be evangelical and seeking to, you know, reach souls for Christ and making appeals and whatever. If you look at John chapter 20, 25 through 28, here's Thomas, who's also called Didymus. Someone said that means ditto, must have had a twin. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. But anyway, the disciples had gathered in the upper room and Thomas wasn't there. And the Lord appeared. 
And they told him. He said, look, I'll not believe unless I stick my finger in the nail prints. I thrust my hand in his side. I'll not believe until I see that. After eight days, again, disciples are gathered. Thomas was there this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your fingers. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand. Behold my side. Be not faithless, believing. What did Thomas answer? He said, I, th I think I've decided to follow Jesus. Now, I, I, I'm going to open my heart and let Jesus come in. No. He said, my Lord and my God. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God in regeneration. When we recognize Christ for who he is and we come saying, he is my Lord and my God. And I want to be saved by him and him alone. That is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. He saves us to the uttermost that come to God by him. How far is the uttermost? That's a long time. <laughs> that's a long way. And it is sufficient because that's what our God did for us in Christ Jesus the Lord. Father, we love you. Glory to God. We love you, Father. We love your word. We love the worship together around your word. We love singing the hymns that exalt your holy name. God, thank you. That out of your own holy good pleasure, counseling with no one but thyself, you chose to elect those that would be adopted as your children through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. And Lord, to bring it on down home to our hearts, thank you that it included us and still more yet to come. Bless us, O oh God, as we go out this place to serve you this week for your honor, praise, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.